the, the, the games are over, but the game never stops. Never stops. This is College Football Overtime with Garrett Chapman and Abe Gordon. Welcome into College Football Overtime. My name is Garrett Chapman. My co-host Abe Gordon is here with me as we are getting ready to react to all of the craziness that just unfolded on Sunday. Uh, we have our four slate, a slate of four teams decided after championship weekend. Abe, I know we talked about on last Thursday, uh, Thursday's podcast, we said specifically after Thursday, after Saturday's games, we would have a very clear idea of who's going to be playing in the college football playoff. And uh, I don't think we had that. I don't think that ended up happening. We had a little bit of chaos. And we're going to talk about that chaos right here on the College Football Overtime Podcast. And then we're going to give you our reactions to what ended up happening in the college football playoff poll. And we're going to give you our thoughts as to whether we think that was the right or wrong decision. Abe, before we do any of that, what are your thoughts, man? What are you feeling? Well, a little bit of surprise just in general about how a couple different games played themselves out. We'll get to them shortly. And then uh, a little bit of less surprise uh, on the actual four teams that are going to be playing for a championship over the next month and change. Uh, I thought there was an opportunity to be surprised, but the committee did not uh, see it the same way. So uh, here we are, and we'll break it all down. Yeah, we sure will. And we're gonna actually going to start out there on the West Coast, the first game of the of the week on Friday. Bo Nix versus Michael Penix, both of the quarterbacks vying for a potential Heisman Trophy. And uh, I don't know if we necessarily won one on the football field that day, but maybe somebody who wasn't playing on the field that day ended up securing it. Uh, that guy, his name is Jaden Daniels. Uh, but Michael Penix outdueled outdueled Bo Nix. Now Bo Nix finishes his career 0-7 against teams at Sago Dogs. More importantly, he was 0-2 against Washington this season. Yeah, it was very interesting to me. Uh, you know, we had these expectations coming into the game, and it, and it certainly didn't look that way from the very beginning. Uh, just the real question is just where's this Washington team been for like the last seven games or, or however long it's been since they beat Oregon the first time uh, we all felt they were a good team. We felt they could be complete. We felt they could beat Oregon, but they hadn't looked that way on the field against subpar competition. Uh, but look, when the bright lights came on at Allegiant stadium in Las Vegas, they were ready to go from the opening whistle. Uh, they jumped out to an early lead. Uh, it, it went back and forth throughout the second half and they had to make some plays down the stretch to win a tight game. Yeah. But it, it was just one of those things where, like, it's good to see this team again uh, be, be, because it, it had been slipping away from them almost, uh, but they gathered themselves right at the right time. Uh, and you look to carry the, this momentum because they look like a completely different team talking about Washington. They had the run game going. Uh, obviously, I, I spoke about it before. Jalen McMillan, getting him back, does a lot of things for Michael Penix, who – uh, we'll now have three weeks uh, w with a, a very good coach to yeah. prepare for their conference uh, or excuse me, their college football semifinal. It, it was just, it, it was just unexpected from the aspect of, I know that team is good and I know they could look the way they looked, but they just hadn't looked that way. Um, and so it, it does a few things, right? It, it tells you that you go back to the original game with Oregon and, and with a lot of pressure was placed on Dan Lanning for some of the decisions, but that was not a fluke win. You know, there were some arguments that could have been made based on how that game played out, that it was a fluke win, the wrong team won, the better team was still Oregon, all of that stuff. And, and, and I think Friday night showed you 
um, that Washington is is still there, uh, and, and they're going to be a real threat uh, heading into the college football playoffs. Yeah, and I think people, uh, for whatever reason, just continue to sleep on this football team. And and I talked about it specifically. And look, I was one of those people. I, I picked Oregon State to win. I picked Oregon to win this game too. So uh, I'm not I'm not saying that I'm I'm not throwing stones at other positions. I'm starting here with myself. Uh, this is this is Washington at its best. It's when Washington is on the biggest stage. And, and honestly, there's something to be said about that. You know, I mean, like this is a team that when the going got toughest, that's when they showed up. And they just sort of consistently would show up in the biggest moments. And I, and I, ta- and I called it the clutch factor. Uh, Michael Penix is, it, like when we previewed this game uh, last Thursday, what I said is, like, it's almost like it's, like people looked at, at what their record was in close games and used it as almost as a, de- a detriment. I said the opposite. Like maybe this is a strength. Maybe this is just the team that they are. Maybe they're the team who needs to – that's just the way that they motivate themselves. I don't know, but they've won, what, their last nine, eight, not eight games or something like that by one score or less or ten or fewer points or, or something like that. And this is a team that knows how to win football games, and, and there is a credit to doing that. And Michael Penix, dude, has just been a baller, you know, and he showed up in the biggest moment in this game when they needed points. He drove them down the field, and they got those points. And – then when they needed to just keep a drive alive, he did the exact same thing for them there. And uh, now Washington is going to go to the, uh, well, not the Rose Bowl. They're actually going to go to the Sugar Bowl, which I feel is kind of silly just in and of itself. But uh, they're going to be down in the Sugar Bowl playing Texas. And we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But um, look, this was a big game. Bo Nix, of course, he he falls on the biggest stage. And, and uh, Dan Lanning, you mentioned it. Just a disappointing performance uh, from these guys. And really, it came down to their inability to run the football for me. They finished this game with 124 yards on the ground. It's great, but 69 of those yards came from your quarterback, and that's not good. Bucky Irving was somebody who you need him to be bigger on these game in these games. And you saw one team get it from Dylan Johnson, 28 carries, 152 yards, two touchdowns, stepped up on the, at the very end of that game. And I think if Michael Penix hadn't been the quarterback of this team, he probably is your MVP of that game. But uh, Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunze, like they, they got dudes, man. They, that's, that's just what they are. And I, I think it makes for a fascinating matchup in the semifinal. Uh, of course, I keep teasing at it, but it's because I really want to talk about it. But we're almost there. I, I got to save myself for that one. But uh, uh, no, this was a great football game. This was the game that the Pac-12 deserved. It's their curtain call. I don't know if you saw it on social media. All of the, the, the mascots there on the sideline, they're all dancing. This really was the end of the Pac-12. And uh, that was kind of an emotional moment for a lot of people I saw on social media. And like, a lot of people were like really came to terms with it in that moment but look man we got pack 12 after dark one last time yeah i mean i i didn't look at this as emotional or anything i i could care less to be honest that's <laughs> that's down the road it Have does you no heart. For me. This, this was a game about one team playing their way into the college football playoffs unequivocally and undeniably the winner of this game was going to hold a spot whether it was oregon whether it was washington and like you said washington stepped up in the big moments it's not the first time Penix has done that this season may not be the last, but they, they they played their way in over the course of the season and over the course of one game in the Pac-12 championship. They absolutely deserve to be where they are. It'll be interesting to see them uh, against a tough opponent uh, in, in, as you mentioned, the Sugar Bowl. Yep, and so let's move on to uh, something else that we saw coming up on Saturday, a game that we talked about on our show, college football game time. It broadcasts every single Saturday with our friend John Fricky um, on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. Uh, the Big 12 championship game, Texas and Oklahoma State. This one was a bit of a laugher. We saw, we, we kind of, 
predicted that this was going to be the way that this unfolded. The, the edges uh, just weren't there for Oklahoma State. The the things that they do well just so happen to be the very things that Texas also does really well, and they do it better than Oklahoma State does. Ollie Gordon, of course, he finishes this game with 34 rushing yards. He, at one point, was slamming his helmet down on the sideline. He was just very frustrated because he expected a little bit more from his guys. And, and look, I understand that. You're a competitor, but you were out of your depth. And not him not him in particular, but I'm just saying Oklahoma State. Um, Texas just had them from the get-go. Like, it, it was over from the very beginning of the game. And all respect to Gundy's crew, I, I really liked Oklahoma State. They were one of my picks to, to, to play in this game at the beginning of the season. But I think we saw from them just the sheer – the distance between these two programs in terms of talent on the football field. Uh, the playmakers really showed up for Texas in a big way. Quinn Ewers, of course, is the stud, and that's who everyone probably will and should be talking about. But A.D. Mitchell had a big game. Xavier Worthy had a big game. Like the, Everybody across the board, great football game. The stars showed out in the biggest way, in the biggest stage. Yeah, I mean, look, this is an atrocious Oklahoma State defense. We knew that going in. Yeah. Uh, I said going in, I, I don't know how Texas isn't in the 40s. Uh, they almost got to the 50s, probably could have if they throttled, uh, kept the foot on the gas there. But And, and the other aspect of this is, like, it feel bad for Oklahoma State because Sarkeesian and Texas, they, they knew they wanted to make a statement and try and impress. Um, you know, ultimately, it probably didn't matter. Um the, you know, if they had won this game by seven or, or, or won this game by the 28 points that they did. Yeah. Um, but but there was nothing Oklahoma State could do to stop them. And you knew they were going to you know, try and pile up the points. And and so that's where we were. It was a good performance, an outstanding first half from Texas, but um, not ultimately surprising. Oklahoma State's one of the worst defenses in the yeah. in the power five. They were certainly the worst <laughs> defense uh, of any team that made the conference championship weekend. And as you mentioned, uh, the Texas uh, run D came in fifth in the country um, and and probably somehow improved those stats uh, against a back like Ollie Gordon. So it, this was non-competitive from from the opening drive and and um, Texas advances into the playoffs as well. They sure do. Uh, it was only the fourth Big 12 title for the Longhorns in their first since 2009, which feels a little weird to say. It's been a long time coming for the Longhorn. Nation and they chanted SEC as um, the commissioner Brett Yormark uh, addressed the crowd and um, felt a little weird. Two two consecutive championship games that we're talking about where the champion is actually leaving and abandoning the conference and then going somewhere else next year. Just the state of college football and the affairs that we are in right now. But these are just two teams at a different level, and I think that became clear. Texas has been the class of the Big Twelve all season, outside of the one blip on the radar in the Red River Shootout against Oklahoma which I guess at this point you really can call almost a blip on the radar because they've been a pretty much a freight train just about most of the season. They've had a couple down weeks where they've struggled at times and, and maybe they let some people creep back into football games. And I think that makes for a very interesting game coming up on, on, uh, on January 1st. And uh, of course, we're going to get into that here in just a minute. Um, but we're going to come back to Atlanta, the game of the weekend, I would say. Uh, Georgia and Alabama, the Crimson Tide of Alabama take down the, the reigning national champions. 27 to 24 in a game that honestly I watched the first drive for Georgia and I thought I said, Oh boy, here we go. And I thought that that was going to be the tone that was going to be set for the rest of the game. I thought that that was going to be what we saw and because they just sort of walked down the field. They trips down the field after a quick three and out, 
that they, they kind of shut down Jalen Milrow. And then all of a sudden they couldn't do anything on offense. They have a three and out and they punt They three and out and they punt. Then you have the 13 play drive where it looked like they were finally putting pieces back together. Then you have the penalty and then you miss a field goal. And then all of a sudden it's the end of the half and you're down 17 to seven. It was a weird, weird type of game for Georgia. They looked, I didn't say they're, they're sleepwalking because they just got bullied really in this game. The line of scrimmages, Alabama controlled the line of scrimmage. We talked to, uh, look, we talked to BA before the game, Brendan Adams of Dog Nation, and we, we talked specifically about how dominating on the line of scrimmage is going to be important. We, and Cole Kublik as well from SEC Network on Saturday. And he said, if you win in the line of scrimmage, you're going to win this football game. And that's the biggest thing. And that's consistently been the biggest factor in this game. Everyone talks about, Bryce Young and 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 Stetson Bennett and all, all of the quarterbacks and the, all the great players who have come through this program, or both of these programs. But it's the trenches that really define this game. They really always have. And Alabama dominated Georgia in the trenches on Saturday, and that was pretty evident after the first drive. They were they were getting a push on the on the offensive line, and then the defensive line. I don't think that they ever sent pressure, but they were containing the Georgia rushing attack uh, with just four guys. And at the end of the day, like that comes down to the secondaries, uh, the secondary that's willing to tackle. It comes down to guys who are doing their job and dominating gap assignments. They held Georgia to 78 rushing yards this, on this game. And if you told me that before the game, that's a, that's a stat that you, you can take that to the bank because Georgia's not winning that football game if they run for seven, only 78 yards. Kendall Milton was shut down. Dejan Edwards was shut down. It was just a, a weird effort, a weird game if you're Georgia. Yeah, it was. It, it was surprising, uh, I, I think, uh, would be the word for me um, because of how it looked, because of the domination along the fronts that you're referencing. That was what was most surprising to me. I think Georgia actually did a pretty good job in pass protection, but they could mm-hmm. not create the holes that they no. had been creating in the run game. You're absolutely correct on that. Uh, and, and then on the flip side, I don't think the Georgia defensive line has been pushed backwards like that in two years. Before. Uh, well, we've seen it, but but not not since they started not this, this run. Not run. on this run, right? Uh, it, it's been two years since they've been moved off that line, um, and first contact for running backs are coming multiple yards down the field. There's no doubt about that. Um, uh, look, you thought maybe the run game would be an advantage uh, because you weren't facing Jace McClellan, <clears throat> uh, and, and you look at the numbers. You, you held Jalen Milrow in check uh, in terms of him using his legs, but. Roydell Williams, uh, Jam Miller combined uh, uh, to do some damage. And look, the numbers aren't staggering for the run game, but there there was a part of this game, the early part of this game, where Alabama and Nick Saban and Jalen Milrow couldn't get it going through the air, uh, and they switched to a run-heavy attack, and it really settled things down for them. Yeah, that was that 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 stretch of game in the late first quarter into the the stretch of the second quarter really really settled it down and solidified things for Alabama and and then look we we talked about it Georgia's not going to let Jalen Milrow beat them deep and they didn't do that um what we didn't expect was Jalen Milrow to settle in and actually find some intermediate passing to do some real damage Isaiah Bond was a big contributor uh nothing deep uh for him but a lot of stuff over the middle a lot of third down or not necessarily third down conversions but first down catches uh, as it were, and and uh, including uh, one important one uh, near the end of uh, the first half that was, um, you know, a little a little questionable uh, to some. Could have changed, uh, you know, how the rest of the game played out. I won't say it changed the outcome of the game. I think that's too big of a step 
to take. But it certainly changes how the rest of the game does play out uh, if Alabama doesn't get that late touchdown there in, in the first half. But the, the, this was – and look, I, I know we all want to take these grand storylines. The the Saban's not dead yet. And sure. back to the drawing board for Kirby. All And, and look, we knew this Georgia team wasn't dominant like they had been in years past. Um, you also can't hide behind the fact that Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey were well below 100%. There's no denying that. Uh, that certainly hurts what they were able to do offensively. Um, but at the end of the day, there were concerns about this Georgia defense all year long. It has not looked like the Georgia defense of years past. Uh, and they've been able to get by. Um, but but they they met another team. And this is, you know, we talked about it. There, there's another team out there that has a, a talent level comparable to Georgia's. It was Alabama. Uh, and at the parts where Georgia has its most pride, Alabama does too. And you mentioned it along those lines. That was the big difference in the game. You can talk about the the abilities of Bowers and McConkie and where they were physically. You could talk about Jalen Milrow and what he can and can't do with his arm. You could talk about the two coaches. You could talk about special teams all you want. Uh, it came down to the trenches, and specifically for me, in the run game, uh, Georgia could not run the ball. You're you're absolutely right about that. Uh, Alabama not only could run the ball, and it wasn't again, it wasn't the hugest successful run day. They didn't go 200 yards or anything, uh, but it was an important time for them to find first downs and run the ball and kind of establish some momentum. Uh, and they they were able to do that, um, which which I didn't necessarily see coming with Jason McClellan out of the game. Um, and, and it's, you know, I know Georgia didn't show panic Garrett. I want to get your thoughts, but sure. you have to imagine that there's a scenario where they can't believe that they're being pushed backwards in this manner. And there's not really a response to it. There's not really a way to stem the tide coming downhill on you. And they, they really never, it's not, I don't, again, I don't know if there was an adjustment to be made. I'm not a coach. I don't, I'm not a scout. I don't pretend to know what I'm looking for. I don't know how they were supposed to adjust off of that because man for man, they were getting pushed backwards. And that's something that these guys probably have never dealt with in their Georgia football career. No. And and, and we saw that really in the first half, not as much in the second half. Right. Um, outside of the one drive that you had in the fourth quarter. And and then obviously the one that, that sealed the game. But I think you said it, you had a good point specifically. It, it was – it's not that Jalen Milrow or, or they were just like killing them or anything like that. It just felt like every time they needed a play, that play happened, you know, like there would be third and seven or something. And then all of a sudden, like there was like a play that would break out to the other side and he'd like find he'd leak out. And then all of a sudden he can jog to the first line marker and just run out of bounds. And it was, it was just little things like that constantly. And that was the thing that I wasn't expecting out of this game. If you go back to what we talked about on Thursday, I said specifically, I was like, hey, if you're Georgia, you want Jalen Milrow in this offense to have to drive on you because I don't think that they can. Well, they got the plays, and they drove on Georgia. And look, at the end of the day, Alabama won this game outright. They were the better football team on Saturday. And then I could tell probably by the end of like the, the midway through the third quarter, I was like, ah, this game feels like it's – it felt like unless you got one, it felt like unless you got a turnover. It uh, felt like they needed a play to happen. Yeah, I thought I, that the, I thought yeah. they had that play at the start of the fourth quarter where they had that big drive and Carson Beck drove them down the field and then they 
and, and they they cut the, the, the deficit to uh to three. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this is it. All right. So they're back in the game. This is where they this is what they needed. And now they all they need to do is get a stop. And then Alabama drives down the field just 75 yards, and then it's just over. And that's what it felt like. It was like, okay, this is over. But then Carson Beck comes back and they get the drive, they drive it all the way back down, and then they need to stop, and then they couldn't get a stop. Which doesn't feel like Georgia. You know, like it that doesn't feel like the the team that we kind of got to know a little bit over the course of this season. It feels like whenever they would need a big play, they would they were always able to come up with that play. And that's and that's just what great teams do. But this is another great team. And I think the thing that Alabama has that they have had since the the little bin, the benching really of, of Jalen Milrose since that USF game is they've had to play in the clutch, just like Michael Penix in Washington. This is a team that's had to play in the clutch. They struggled with Arkansas. They struggled with Texas A&M. They struggled with Tennessee at times up until the, the second half. They struggled with, uh, they really did struggle with Ole Miss a good bit. Like they struggled with Auburn and they needed a miracle. But what that does to you is it gives you confidence. That gives you confidence that in those biggest moments, you you know that you've already stepped up and you can do it again. This is not something, this is not a position that we've really seen Georgia in against a competently or adequately talented team, like a team that's comparable to what they are. We saw that against Auburn, but not really. Like it wasn't really like a, a do or die. Like I, at that game, I never, I mean, there was a period where it's like, oh, wow, they could lose this game. But then it's like, but there was never that moment wow, they're not, they are not the better team today. Like there was never that moment. Alabama has been in that moment probably a dozen times this season, but they always found a way to win. And that gives you confidence over the course of, of a season, because then you just continuously find that way to, to, to come out on top. And that's what they did on Saturday. Yeah, they, they, they did. And it was, I got the same feeling you did where I'm thinking, okay, Georgia's been in this situation. They're going to need to to make a comeback. Um, but but I agree. You come back against Auburn because you're the better team. Yeah. You come back against South Carolina because you're the better team. Um, it's going to be very difficult to come back against Alabama because you're at least even, um, if not watching or being opposed by a better team, at least on that day. And again, I do think the the limitations for Bowers and McConkey play their role, and some of the officiating plays their role. Uh, but at the end of the day, you just got out physical, and, and there was just no response to it. And and um, look, I, you know, obviously everyone knows it's no spoiler. UGA is not in the playoffs, but I think that's going to serve this experience for for Alabama is going to serve them well in the playoffs because they're going to need to be just as physical at least two more times. They're going to be need to be very physical in this upcoming game against yeah, Michigan. And of exactly. course, we're going to get to that preview here in just a second. But speaking of Michigan, let's move into the Big Ten championship game, a game that I don't have too many thoughts on because I don't think Iowa, you see that little goose egg right there. That, uh, that offense is terrible. I thought their defense was, set them up. The defense at one played really point. well. Look, the, the defense, defense played was really so well. close. <laughs> the then defense they turned played it really over. Well. Yeah, they sure did. And then they had the one. So we talked specifically, we said that they had to to dominate on defense and that they had to uh, win special teams, you know? And they looked like they were not in control of this game, but they looked like they had a handle on it. And they were, they pretty much contained Michigan for the most part. And then all of a sudden you have the 87-yard punt return. And that, at that point, I was like, oh, okay. That was the play that needed to go in their favor. 
that was one of those plays where Michigan needs to try to recover that ball uh, or return the punt, and then the ball gets punched out, then you run it the other way. That was the kind of play that was going to need to go their way. And when I saw that, I think it was like halfway through the first quarter, um, it didn't, it, it kind of felt like they just sort of shrunk back into their shell a little bit. It looked like they were playing a little loose. And then uh, after that play happened, they, they, they shrunk back. And then it's like, all right, yeah, now, now we're out of our depth. And it felt like the game was already out of reach. JJ McCarthy, though, doesn't really play all that well. This is a good defense, but 147 yards, it's nothing to, it's nothing great. He's not really throwing the ball down the field. I think that's going to be a very interesting matchup in, uh, against Alabama. I th- I'm really interested to see what that happens there. But Blake Corum, of course, scores two touchdowns. He just continues to be the, the, the ultimate goal line predator. I think it's 24 touchdowns now, and I think 23 of them have come within five yards of the line of the, of the goal line. Uh, ultimate goal line running back. But they win this game 26 to nothing. Iowa really doesn't get a lot of anything. Deacon Hill, though, I will say, I'll give him credit. He surpassed his season average. He had 120 yards. He went over the hundred the century mark. Yeah, I, I think it's a situation, I, and I'm not going to look into the stats too much in this one. I think Michigan knew uh, as long as we protect the ball, we're going to win this game. It was over at 10 nothing. at least that's how it felt to me. Yeah. And so when you look at McCarthy, it, it's just, hey, no chances. It, 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 50% passer, then so be it. Um, under 150 yards passing, then so be it. No chances, uh, no 50-50 throws, no tight windows, because um, that's the only way Iowa can compete in this game. And, and so I, I'm not concerned with the stats there. This was a dominant effort. It was always going to be a dominant effort. It was over once it was 10-0. Um, and, and look, for, for Michigan – uh, you had a couple of, of warm-ups and tune-ups in Penn State and then obviously Ohio State, and you're just going to have to rely on your ability in those games against better teams because uh, I was never a threat in this in this game. No, it, it really wasn't that kind of situation. It, it, was, it was interesting, though, that Jim Harbaugh chooses not to accept the Big Ten Championship trophy at the end of the game. Um, I think we all know why that happened. He sort of wore that scarlet letter on his chest and uh, wore it proudly. Uh, but Michigan, of course, they move on to your number one overall seed in the college football playoff. This was never really a contest. Uh, I don't think anybody ever took this game super seriously. Um, Iowa, if, if Iowa ever one of these days puts together a, a competent offense, and I, I mean like a good offense, I mean just one that can give you I don't know, something of any level of consistency. The best offenses in college are scoring 40 to 45 a game. If Iowa can put up one, then get you 24 points. Um, this is a team that could really be yeah. pretty damn good. Yeah. And because they can just get, get an average offense at 24, 25 a game in college, yeah. which isn't crazy. Um, not that crazy. And look, that's what that's what the number was for, for Brian Ferentz to retain 25. his job was 25. I mean, that that's yeah. what you're asking. If they, if they get one of those, they're going to be a top 10 team. Yeah, and uh, they obviously couldn't get that done. But let's move into the ACC championship, uh, probably one of the more controversial endings here. Um, Louisville falls to Florida State 16-6. to Really, the story of this game is Brock Glenn, the backup to the backup, the freshman starter, 8-21, of 21, 55 yards, 2.6 yards per completion. Uh, not a great game. For Florida State, not really a great game at all. But Lawrence Tuafili, 118 yards for that young man. He was really the biggest reason that they won this game. It, it felt like it was a it was a slugfest for a long time. Two pretty good defenses. I know Florida State has a strong defense. I don't even know the last time they had a lot of touchdown. I just feel like it was uh, 
Did they allow a touchdown against Florida? Yeah. They did? Okay. Never mind. So it was just this game that they did that. And and uh, look, but this was a, a really strong, strong defense for Florida State. And, and they kind of flexed their muscle. Jared Versch and company. They had a great game. Um, If you say so, uh, I, I think this is more about a pathetic Louisville offense than a really good Florida State defense, if we're being honest. I Now, look, I will say this. I think Florida State knew that this game had to be defensively like it was. They, they needed to do everything in their powers to do exactly what they did against Louisville and, and keep this a very low-scoring game. They could not rely on their offense to bail them out. Uh, th- there's no denying that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't. Um, but I, I'm not going to take a look at this game and say, oh, man, what a dominant defense. Well, hey, they had seven sacks, 14 tackles for losses. Yeah, like uh, I said, it's a pitiful loss. performance and- from Notre Dame – or excuse me, from, from Louisville. I, I just uh, – they – it, it, I, well, they, they, I think they've been exposed these last yeah, two weeks. I, I mean, that, that's kind of where I'm at is like, I, I watched a couple Louisville games earlier in the year. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like Jack Plummer's pretty careless with the ball. He doesn't do, a, there's a lot of things he doesn't do well, but they are getting the ball to Jordan and thrash in space. And I was like, I was like, are they going to keep this up? Is it fluky? What's going on here? Um, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not taking a dump on the Florida State defense. It's a very good unit um uh, among the best in the country but uh, th- this was more to me this is more about just pathetic from louisville and and maybe the weather um got them maybe the the injury bug still is is biting them a little bit but um you expect more from any of the teams with the exception of iowa of course that are in conference championship games you expect more than six points it was three um, to three. It was three to three all the way into the, the deep end of the third quarter. Yeah, I, I actually did not like that they ended up taking the field goal there. I would have gone for the touchdown, but that's just me. Uh, well, I mean, what do you have to lose? You're playing the number four team without a quarterback. Uh, so, but uh, look, all, all together, th- this was a good win for Florida State. Obviously, wasn't enough, um, but but th- th- this was a good win to wrap up their season. Considering the circumstances, the, the game played out the way it had to play out if they were going to win. They were never going to win a 31-24 type of affair. So um, kudos to the coaching staff for for the game plan and to the defense for ramping it up the way they needed to. But, um, you know, I'm not, li- I'm not like leaving this game incredibly impressed with how good Florida State's D was. I just, I, I'm just not. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those days, man. I mean, it's been one of the last – these last two weeks for Florida State have just been brutal. I was I was in – I was at Bobby Dodd Stadium watching the uh, – of course, I was following what was happening with Florida State and ACC Network was there. And and I, I looked over and I saw when Jordan Travis got hurt. It was maybe the moment after he got hurt. And then I looked over and saw that – I was like, ooh, somebody's down. What's going on? And I felt the collective air go out of the press box because everybody understood the moment of what just happened in that moment, they understood what happened. And um, of course you get the air cast on his leg and, and everybody's standing up and, and watching this happen. And Florida state, since that moment, they just haven't been the same football team. Of course the, the defense has played well. And, and, and yes, I'm not, I'm going to give a little bit more credit to the defense because they, they did hold a, a, a Louisville offense. That's pretty good. And um, has, has a, a pretty strong identity. And they held them and, and kept them out of their game. They would let them play their game, and they pinned their ears back and got after Jack Plummer and company and, and shut down the, the Louisville rushing attack. They did a great job. But at the end of the day, the Florida State identity existed with Jordan Travis. And 
it's hard to know what they are without that quarterback. And I think we saw that in kind of gruesome display these last two weeks. I know we picked against them. Both of us did both weeks. And at the end of the day, like they come up and they step up in the biggest stage and, and they, and they do what they need to do, but um, they're not the same team. And I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, Well, yes, that is obvious. Um, if we're, if we're going to be honest and, it, and I, you know, some of this, I'm like, do I want to hold this till we get into this discussion? I got some let's thoughts go on Florida state here. All right. So <laughs> of course we know what's happened. Um, everybody's seen the rankings. I'm sure if you're watching this podcast or 30 minutes into this podcast, um, if you're watching this, you, you pretty much have an understanding of what happened today. You have the number one team in America is Michigan. Um, they're going to be taking on Alabama in the Rose bowl, a, a pretty controversial decision there. Um, to some, at least Washington is your two seed. Texas is going to finish third. Florida state drops to the five spot and Georgia after winning 29 games in a row in the last two national championship games, uh, they lose by three points in a conference championship game and they drop to the sixth spot. Um, which feels a little ridiculous to me, but I understand it. Um, Abe, I know I, I, there was no right answer with this. There was no right answer. I, I understood that there was no way that Georgia was going to make it in. I, I knew I knew that this SEC championship game was a play-in game. That's really what it was. That's what it has been for a number of years now, um, with a few exceptions. Generally speaking, the winner cuts in and the loser does not. And we saw that play out again on Saturday. Florida State, of course, dropped out. That's the most controversial of all of them. Michigan and Washington, I think those two were chalk. Texas, Alabama, of course, they played each other, and that was the – you couldn't have one without the other. Well, Alabama couldn't make it in and not Texas. I mean, there were a lot of different factors. I know we talked about it a lot. Uh, You've seen it all over social media. Abe, I'm just going to give you a chance. Just unload. What do you got? Well, a couple things here. I I mean, obviously, as soon as Texas was three, you knew Florida State was out. Um, In my opinion, if Florida State was going to be in, they were going to be ranked the third team uh, with a one-loss Texas behind them. I I thought that would have made sense. So as soon as I saw Texas – I knew Florida State was out. Mm-hmm. Basically, and look, the college football playoff committee is never going to tell us exactly what went in specifically. They're going to use their code words. They're, they're going to talk about whatever. Here's what happened. This was a scenario in which they were going to tick off someone. There's no denying that. There's three teams for two spots. Georgia's not one of them. Um, they were going to tick off someone. So what did they do? They took the path of least resistance. They 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 kept the team out that would anger the fewest people. Um, essentially, is how this played out. And look, I'm not even sure that it's the wrong decision. It's not the decision I would have made. Yeah. I stand on that in terms of an undefeated Power Five champion should have been given the opportunity to play. But they're going to use their arguments to say this is not the same team as they were with Jordan Travis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I get that. But here's the other thing. If Florida State's a three seed, they're a eight-point underdog to, to Washington. If Florida State's the four seed, they're a 13-point underdog to Michigan. That's with Jordan Travis. Um, you know, they, they weren't going to be competitive. Uh, and I think that that's the argument that people are going to make when defending the committee. is like, did you really want to see Florida State take on this team? or that team. We already know the result. Look, the, the, the teams we have at three and four, Texas and Alabama, I don't know the results of these semifinal games. 
if it was Florida State, I know what the result would have yeah. been. Florida State would have been out and someone else is advancing. And, and so when we get to the discussion uh, of was this the right decision, um, did they take the four best teams, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like the, the, those are very easy arguments to make because I don't know a single person, even Florida State fans who are like, yeah, man, we're going to beat Michigan if you'd given us a shot. Like your quarterback can't throw the forward pass. Like, no, you're not. Hmm. Um, and so I understand, I understand the reasoning behind it. It, 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 to me is still the easy way out. And sometimes I throw this word around maybe a little too cavalierly. Um, but this was a coward's decision. Um, they, they, they took the easy way out. I, I think it would have been a lot bolder and braver to take a stance that this was an undefeated power five champion, whether they're going to get blown out in the semifinals or not. I thought it was the right decision to make. Um, but I, ultimately, I'm not surprised it's not the one that they yeah. made. Uh, uh, it, it, again, it's an easier stance to defend leaving them out than it is to defend uh, keeping them in, especially um, you know in a couple weeks from now when you'd have to actually play that game and, and they may just be completely and wholly outmatched and then everyone starts finger-pointing. It should have been Alabama. It should have been Texas, whatever. Um, you know, I, I, so I, I understand why this is the decision they made. Um, but I, I, I still think it, it would have, um, I mean, I'm not getting any intrinsic value out of this. Like, I, I don't really care. Like, I think the games they've set up are going to be great. Yeah. But for me, I, I it just would have felt right to put them in whether they're getting blown out or not. Uh, it, it felt like they earned it more than anyone else. It, and um, I don't have an argument against that. Uh, I, I know you can show me the strength of schedule and you can show me the ranked opponents. They did what they're supposed to do. The other teams didn't. That That's the bottom line at the end of the day. Um, so I, I thought they should have been given the chance. And if they get blown out, they get blown out. And look, they were going to get blown out. There's no way around that. And, and so I understand the decision. Um, but the biggest issue, which is not even about this discussion, not even about Florida State or Texas or Alabama, um, the committee refused to diagnose what their actual responsibility and duty was from the very beginning. Um, they, they never told you, are we taking the best teams, the most deserving teams, um, the highest ranked teams? Are, are we doing this based on a resume? They never really dialed it. And I know they wanted the flexibility, mm -hmm. um, but but I, again, that that's an, that's an easy way out. Uh, and obviously it, it gave them the flexibility, flexibility to make the decision. Yeah, the it gave them the important thing. And, and that's why they're able to, to maneuver and, and, and leave Florida State out. I think it's a shame, ultimately not surprising though. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is it's not surprising at all. All that, all, I mean, that said. Um, but the thing that bugs me the most is the fact that this is this is an undefeated Power 5 conference champion. This team is 13-0, and and this isn't UCF going 13-0. This isn't Cincinnati going 13-0 or, or Liberty or, or one of those other teams. I mean, no, this is this is Florida State. Well, the, is, other, the other thing that bugs me is they're making this decision because they know it's the last year of the four-team playoff. And they're not concerned about the precedent. That that's the other aspect. Here there is no precedent because you move on and it's over. Well, it that's what I'm matter. saying. They, they, if this was three years ago and they knew they wouldn't be switching formats for another three years, I think Florida State actually does end up in the playoffs. But since but, they knew that 
and they could throw that out the window, they made the decision they made. Yeah, but the thing that bugs me the most is the fact that, like, if Alabama gets eliminated, and like Alabama's in that five spot, what are those players sitting there thinking? Like, oh, damn it, if we had just beaten Texas. If you're Florida State, what do you do? Like, there isn't anything there. Because you did everything that you were supposed to do. You did everything that everyone. Yeah, I don't told think you that I don't think uh, do. demanding you have a better backup is a fair argument. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, for and we talk, we call football. What do they call football? The ultimate team sport, right? You call it the ultimate team sport in one side of your mouth, and then say on the other side, "Oh well, because you lost your quarterback, we don't think that you're a deserving team anymore." I think that's also kind of a lunat lun. Like, there's lunacy inside of that. That that's a, that's a little ridiculous, right? You cannot on one breath call it the ultimate team sport and then in the next one say that if you lose your quarterback, you shouldn't be considered. I understand how important the quarterback position is. I do. I do. And this isn't the same thing as, as go back to 2014 when Cordell Jones goes on and, and wins a national championship for Ohio State. He was the third-string quarterback at the time, except he scored 59 points against Wisconsin in their conference championship game. This is not the same situation as that, obviously. Obviously, it's not. But... This is still Florida State. This is still an ACC champion. This is still a team that went 13-0. and And I think it's disrespectful, truthfully, to a, a league that had a winning record against the team, the other league that got represented in this, in this playoff. So you say the SEC is intrinsically better. I think that they are. I think top to bottom, they're a better conference. They've, they have a, a track record. They've clearly been the better conference. Uh, uh, for everybody outside of the name of Clemson, they've been a, a significantly better conference over the course of the last 20 years. But that doesn't change the fact that the ACC had a winning record against the SEC this year. And at the end of the day, it's like you have to look at a lot of these factors. These things should matter. Results on the field should matter. I know we had this conversation on Saturday talking specifically about Texas and Alabama. And if you're like, who would you take between those two? And I know you you have the the point where Alabama's a better football team now than they were back in September. And I'm like, and that's true. You're exactly right. I, I completely agree. I think if you line them up right now, I think Alabama's the better team. But the problem is the results on the field should matter. The results on the field have an impact, or they should. And they didn't for Florida State. And that's where I understand they're upset. I, I understand why they're so upset. I understand their frustrations because they did every single thing right. They did every single thing within their power to be included in this final four. And then for uh, some reasons outside of their control, that gets taken away from them. And it's not even because the other teams were also undefeated because they weren't. It's because somebody has some eye test somewhere and they say that because of X, Y, and Z, you're not going to be included. It, it's just frustrating. It's frustrating. And I, I understand where they're coming from with it. Look, there, there's no denying what we've seen from Florida State over the last two weeks does not deserve to be represented in a national semifinal. Uh, okay. Like, like the Rodemaker right. start against Florida and, and Glenn uh, uh, the other night against Louisville. Like th there's no denying that that team has no business being in, in a, um, in the state. And that's what they, they are leaning on as their argument, right? That that's why they're they're And look, they're going to hear it from Florida state fans, rightfully so but they're not hearing it from everyone else. And that's the key here. And that's why they're making the decision that they made is they'll, they'll take the bite from one school. They don't have to take the bite out of the entire country because if it was not Alabama, if it was not Texas and Florida state uh, 
goes and, and plays with Glenn and Rodemaker and gets annihilated, people are going to be upset that, that they could have seen a better game uh, or could, could have seen a different winner. Um, but I, I, I tend to agree with you. Ultimately, I wanted to give them a chance to prove what you said, that they're more than just one player um, yep. and, and that they are a team uh, built on on perfection uh, with 13 and all record. And, and look, if they fall short, they fall short, right? Like we've seen blowouts in the semifinals before. There've been arguments for the teams. average margin of victory. Yeah. 18 points. No, and, and right. And, and so if they're the next one on that list, then so be it. Uh, I, I think it was gross to deprive them of at least the opportunity yes. to go out. And, and, and again, it was, in my opinion, that game would have been ugly. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, you're, you, it would have been bad, right? They scored 16 points uh, against Louisville. Uh, I know that was third string. The, the Rodemaker should be back for uh, – yeah. they only scored 20-something against like, – like, I get that it's going to be bad. They still deserve the opportunity to go out there, and if they get their butts beat, they get their butts beat. The ultimate but, team sport. Um, it, it just – it's very disturbing. And again, this will all be remedied next year when you have the 12-team playoff. I get that. But um, when you go out there and your goal every year and, and you're told if you win every game, you can win a championship. And they've yeah. won every game and can no longer win a championship. Um, and, and you've got situations where there are other teams that did not win every game and are, are being preferred. And, and look, maybe it's money. Maybe it's program, maybe it's conference uh, bias, whatever it is. Um, I understand the committee's decision, um, but I, I would have been bolder if I were on the committee. I would I would have taken a different stance. And um, you deal with the criticism. Uh, again, this to me felt like they're trying to find a way to deal with the least amount of the criticism. That's not what your job is. Yeah, Your job is to decide the four teams of the college football playoffs with a sliding scale of metrics that 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 uh, it's bogus that um, conferences and fans have let them get away without defining what uh, four teams deserve to be in unequivocally are we taking the four well, because if, if you cannot I know, possibly I know tell why, me, you but... cannot possibly tell me that the University of Georgia is not one of the four best teams in America you cannot nobody can possibly convince me of that fact so who are you ridiculous. kicking out but but then who no but that's but out? that's my point but that's my point they don't deserve it. I'm not. I'm not trying to say that they do. But but even but if they're a better team, I think that they're a better team than anybody like of those four teams like that are in there. I think they're better. They yeah. lost on Saturday, so that, that's why they lost their opportunity. And it's it, and look at the end of the day, the better team doesn't always win. Like that's not what I'm saying. And and look, Alabama was the better team on Saturday, and that's why Alabama's in the college football playoff and Georgia's not. But at the end of the day, it's like the committee wanted to give itself some flexibility, and. My hope and prayer is, of course, we're moving into this 12-team field next year. Uh, I, I've I've expressed to you privately my reservations about it. I, I've said it on this podcast. I've said it on on, on our station at 92.9 Game in Atlanta. I've said it a number of times, but at the same time, we are. This is our reality. This is the new reality that we are going to exist in as college football fans, as, as people who exist in this world. And I just hope that next year. When we actually get into the situation, we are in this sort of situation where it's not just sort of like, a, oh, we'd only really have two teams. Let's just go back to the BCS. Like, 
hopefully it is something like this where you know that there are five, six, seven teams who in any given season, any given Saturday could go out and win a football game. And I say that about Florida State, and I include them in that category because, you know what, they're 13-0, and they've won every single game in front of them. And I think I, my hope my hope for next season is that the teams and the matchups and everything else that happens happens and continues to happen in this metric, in this way. Because a lot of, a lot of what we've seen over the last couple of years, there are only really one or two teams. Maybe there's a third or a fourth, maybe. But generally, there's one, two, or three teams. And... That's why we've seen such lopsided college football playoff semifinals. But to your point, I don't think we have that this year. And so I really want to quickly jump into this. Uh, first and foremost, I, I just want you to give a thought or two. Uh, first, reactions about what you're going to be looking for in this game. Something, of course, we're going to have a whole month to talk about these games. This one's going to be the, the early game over there in the uh, the Rose Bowl, 4 o'clock. Of course, out there on the West Coast, the most one of the most beautiful scenes in all of college football is the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. I don't know if you can really even call it that anymore because it's not really what this is intended for, these two teams necessarily. Michigan is one, but not exactly. Alabama feels a little dirty whenever a team that's not the Pac-12 or the Big Ten plays in this game to me. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I think this all comes down to which quarterback can really step up? Because I think Blake Corum is going to do Blake Corum things. He's a great player. Uh, we know who he is. J.J. McCarthy feels like he's a quarterback trending down. Uh, he struggled against better competition in these last three weeks, three defenses that are pretty good. Um, and I, I, I just omitted Maryland, unfortunately. I, I'm not, I don't mean you. I mean Penn State. I mean uh, Ohio State. I mean Iowa, the three ranked opponents that he's played here down the stretch. He's trended down. Jalen Milrow's done the opposite. He's done nothing but shine uh, late in this season. He's been clutch when he mat when it matters most. Can he be clutch again against a Wolverine defense that has been one of the best groups in all in all of America this year? Well, I disagree with you about J.J. McCarthy, and we talked about it two weeks ago. I know the numbers weren't eye-popping. I actually thought he was outstanding well, against Ohio okay. State. Yeah. Um, but, but to your point, I also disagree with you about Blake Corum. Um, we just saw what Alabama did uh, to limit Georgia's rushing attack. And, and I think you're going to see a lot of the same. I don't think Blake Corum is set up for a big game. I do think, as you pointed out, it is J.J. McCarthy who's going to have to step up. Yeah. Um, and, and whether it's 300 yards or whether it's his legs or whether it's efficiency or one or two big throws here or whatever the metric is, um, I do think it is going to be up to him because Alabama, with the physicality that they showed against Georgia, if they can repeat that effort uh, with a healthy by then, Jace McClellan, um, I, I think, it, and Jalen Milrow, obviously performing the way you've detailed it, and he was outstanding uh, and has been for quite a while now. Um, it, Michigan's going to have his hands full. All right. Michigan's going to have its hands full physically and athletically in a way that they have not yet this year. The same way this is a team unlike one that Georgia had faced, but with respect to Ohio State, I, I think Alabama is a different type of beast. Um, Alabama, it, it almost feels is specifically set up to beat Michigan. Uh, just, just in terms of the physicality, yeah. Michigan wants to run the ball. Alabama is going to stop the run. Uh, it, it, it creates some very intriguing matchups uh, in this game. I'm very excited to, to see this one. I don't know what the line is, uh, but I, I imagine it's pretty small. 
I have to imagine it's going to be pretty small. But yeah. When I when I made the comment about JJ McCarthy, it's more. I knew what you meant. His efficiency meant. is there. His efficiency has been strong. It's just this isn't the type of game that you're going to. So he had 60 yards against Penn State. He's probably going to need more than 100 against Maryland. Yeah, he's going to need more than 48 against Ohio State. 147 against Iowa. Some of those games he didn't really need to step up in a big spot mm-hmm. and and be you know explosive or whatever. Alabama, you're going to need to do a little bit more than that, you know, because I think that's by far Alabama's by far going to have the best offense of any team that he's played, played all season. I mean, Ohio state has some great playmakers, but no, they, really they never found out how to put it together. Yeah. They never put it all together. And which feels like just a, 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 it's a waste. service it's, it's a waste, a waste <laughs> of all of the talent that was up there that they never put it all together. Um, and you have those players and those dudes and the, and you couldn't figure it out. I not the point. Not the point of what we're trying to go with this. Uh, I'm just saying you need more than a buck fifty if you're going to want to contend and play with Alabama in this game. I, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I tend to lean Alabama. I absolutely game. lean Alabama uh, because early on, uh, you know, I, I do think I don't want to give a disservice to how physical Michigan can be because I, I do think they can be very. We've good seen on what happens fronts. when that that sort of physicality i just put it in quotations they're a very physical bunch i don't they're doing more win award-winning offensive line the last two years like look this is a really good team but we saw what happened when they went on went on down to the orange bowl and played georgia of course this is a different football team yeah um both of these are two radically different football teams than what we saw there but they got bullied against a team that's like hey we want to come in and run the damn ball okay great do it try it let's do it yeah and consistently that hasn't worked for the big 10 whenever they play a big uh, an sec team right it just consistently doesn't work and generally speaking when i see a big 10 team playing an sec team i tend to lean to the sec team and just because they have the team speed on defense this is a really good michigan team blake quorum i think is a is a beast but you made a good point you made a good point they have figured out that rush defense and they have they're just one of the hottest teams in america they yeah. really have been over the last couple of months and they have the biggest win the best win of anybody in the country uh, in that SEC championship game. I think it's going to be a fascinating matchup. It's going to be one that's going to just have so many storylines, of course, with Jim Harbaugh and all the drama that's coming on off the field. Does he start flirting with the NFL again? I think there's a not small, there's a not zero chance that that starts happening over here the next couple of weeks. At least he starts hearing some of those questions. But let's move down to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, my childhood favorite bowl game, the Sugar. Washington in Texas. I think this actually makes for a really fascinating matchup too because just like we just talked about the quarterbacks, I'm actually not going to look at the quarterbacks here because both quarterbacks, of course, we know all four quarterbacks in this are very interesting. They're all unique. They're all their own types of players. I don't think any one of them is is anything like the others. They're great in this one too. Michael Penix and Quinn Ewers, of course. I'm looking specifically at the skill players. I think the skill players here are the best in, of anybody in, in this tournament. And it's Roma Dunes, it's Jalen McMillan, it's Dylan Johnson, it's Xavier Worthy, it's Edie Mitchell, it's JT Sanders. They got dudes all over the field. And it's going to be so much fun to watch those guys just sort of get out there and play. Yeah, it's interesting. Normally, I would come out here and tell you that with the elite rush defense that Texas have, Washington is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the big plays that Texas's defense gives up in the pass game, and you got, as you mentioned, a McMillan and a Roma Dunes, a and Michael Pennant spinning it out to him, you know, that almost cancels out potentially uh, the ability to stop the run. This is a 
very interesting matchup. I think the first aspect I'm going to look for, and uh, we won't know until game day, is is what Washington team shows up. Is this the yeah. one that we just saw um, really take it to Oregon, who I still believe is a very, very good team? Mm-hmm. Uh, or is this the one that slept walked uh, through about five or six games between the, the two wins over Oregon, the midseason one and the Pac-12 tournament one? Um, and then for Texas, uh, they've got to continue to build on that run game. Uh, the playmakers offensively, defensively, uh, have really showed up and Quinn Ewers just has to be good. He was very good against, uh, Oklahoma state, but we've seen a couple games where like you're randomly watching him and he's like 10 of 20 and you're trying to figure out what's going on. So yeah. in the same way, uh, like I, I need to see Quinn Ewers in that game. There's a lot more variables in this game between Washington and Texas than I would say between Michigan and, and Alabama. Cause I don't think it's a situation where one team's going to just come in and just manhandle and out physical the other team. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely spot on. This is going to come down to the skill position players. And we've seen a lot of deep passes from Quinn Ewers to open receivers. We've seen the exact same thing from Michael Penix. And it'll be interesting to see uh, who can hit for more big plays in the Sugar Bowl. I think that's what this game will come down to. I think it makes for two very fascinating matchups, two matchups that we are going to be talking a lot about over here on College Football Overtime over over the course of the next month. But, of course, we have tons of great bowl games. We have New Year's Six games that we got to break down. We'll talk about all of those over the course of the next couple of weeks. We are very much looking forward to them. Uh, Lots of of dialogue, transfer portal conversations, coaching transitions. (laughs) All of that is going to be discussed because the transfer portal opens up Monday, so we are really excited to talk about that because we're about to have some chaos there too. You thought the college football playoff was chaotic? Just wait until you see all these names that are about to pop up in the transfer portal. Abe, this is going to be crazy. I'm glad you're here along for for the ride. Make sure you are too. Those of you who are listening, drop that subscribe button right down there. Make sure you like, make sure you follow, make sure you check out all that we have to offer because It's college football season and college football never sleeps, especially now that it's in bowl season. This is the craziness that we know and love, and it gets a little bit crazier. The college football playoff, we figured out who our four teams are. We're going to be breaking it all down right here on college football overtime. So make sure you are here coming up on Thursday morning. We got more conversation coming. So make sure you have that subscribed. Make sure you're here. We'll see you on Thursday. We cannot wait. Been a crazy week. We'll talk more about it next week. See ya.